Well, welcome to the Hunt Backcountry podcast. This is a Monday Minute episode, which are shorter and more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. Steve, how are you today? Doing good, man. Doing really good. Had a great weekend with the family, and you obviously had one as well with your boy. Yeah, my son got his first uh, his first deer, his first big game kill this weekend, which was a lot of fun. So, dude, I was I I was even thinking about last night between having my sheep hunts and then just getting that bull what a couple weeks ago now at this point and then my son getting his first deer it's like i don't know this season's been one for the record books in my opinion yeah that's freaking awesome yeah it was cool we it was youth season here in missouri and uh we had a lot of crappy weather so the original plan was to go down to a buddy's uh place and he has a bunch of land to hunt but also has a lake where we can fish and stuff like that and the weather was so bad we didn't uh we didn't go down there and my parents have just a small piece of property um close to us and so we just snuck out for a short hunt there at my parents and yeah it happened pretty quick um he was able to get a nice little spike buck and he was just beyond excited and loved you know, not only the the shot and everything else, but uh, breaking it down afterwards, he was involved and wanted to help skin it and then was asking questions about, you know, what are you doing now, dad? And it was just very cool, hands-on experience that he enjoyed the whole thing. And it was, it was a heck of a lot of fun for sure. Yeah. Gosh. Like definitely like, um, yeah, just makes me... I don't want to wish the days away, but when my boy or my daughter gets old enough to be able to go do that, it's going to be a pretty special experience. Yeah. Yeah. He's 11. Um, My daughter was actually 11 when she shot her first deer. So that was pretty cool. Uh, They were both 11 and yeah, it's, it's funny with kids, you know, they're all different. I know obviously some kids are much, much younger than that. I have a buddy whose son is, I think seven and you know, they went out and got a deer. So uh, it's just interesting how kids show levels of interest and have different levels of maturity. My son's been bugging me, you know, last couple of years about going. And honestly, last year, I kind of purposely drug my feet with him a little bit just because I, I didn't know if he was fully ready. Um, last year, I felt like he was almost too confident with shooting, like in a mm-hmm. sense that he would rush something and not fully understand like how to be patient, how to, you know, wait for a good shot and all that. And um, I won't go into the whole story, but it was very important this year that he did all that, that he stayed really patient, waited for a good shot. And, uh, you know, we've been practicing this year and shooting and shooting on like deer targets, printed targets for shot placements. And yeah, it was, it was, uh, he just, he couldn't have done any better. He stayed patient, waited for a really good shot, made a perfect shot, and uh, the deer was down in like 30 yards from where he shot. We had very, very minor blood tracking, but it was just fun. I almost prefer that to have that a little bit because, again, that's another learning opportunity of blood tracking and just showing Mm -hmm. them what to look for and how to mark it and then get to the next spot and even talk about anticipating where the deer may have went and why so it was just a cool 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 experience for sure man did you uh grab some back straps and cook them up that night 
We, yeah, we did actually. Uh, well, we did the Tinder wines actually. Yeah. Oh, so perfect. we did the Tinder wines and uh, he was all excited about that. He, um, he takes some sort of like, so- like whether it's summer sausage or snack sticks or something like that, he takes that as a school lunch, probably three or four days a week. And that's obviously been from what I've killed. So now that he's killed his own deer, he really wants to get some <laughs> sausage made and truly be able to take his deer. So he was, you know, I processed everything in terms of, um, I just did the gutless method on it and again, did it with him and then deboned everything. And so I'm going to take a good chunk of that meat. Him and I, we use this local shop, uh, to make sausage and he's so excited. I told him like, all right, bud, we'll take the meat there. Like you can get whatever you want. So just the fact that he gets to order and pick it out he's really excited about it and i'm sure he's gonna go to school with that and weeks to come and probably brag to his friends a little bit <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's so cool yeah I, I always make a point with my kids like whenever we're eating fish meat whatever um red meat that uh, i show them a picture of like this you know this is what we're eating you know just trying to always connect the dots of meat doesn't just come from the grocery store yeah to, I want to say this only because I know if I don't, we'll get questions. Um, and we actually have a speak pipe question now, uh, which we won't get into today because it's a, a little bit different context and conversation, but about youth rifles. And so just to touch on what he's shooting, and I will say it's unique, especially for like our Western audience or guys who may be hunting Western big game with their kids. The setup that I have my kids shooting um, is a 300 blackout. So it's a short barrel you know, semi-auto platform, 300 blackout. And it's perfect for whitetails, especially because everything we hunt um, or I hunt, at least with the kids, is essentially going to be mostly a bow range opportunity or, you know, it'd be long to have a hundred yard shot. Um, so that's what I have them shooting, which again is obviously different if you were in a more open country, Western context, or you may have a longer opportunity or even bigger game. So, um, Again, we do have a speak pipe question that talks a little bit about youth rifles. We'll get into that another day because I want to go deeper into that. But I also just wanted to mention what I had my kids shooting because I figured if I didn't, we'd probably get questions. But Mm. it's a cool setup. It's a, like I said, a little short barrel pistol AR um, 300 blackout and have a suppressor on it. So the kids like super spoiled with the setup. But it's so nice to be also in the field with that because having that suppressor and just being able to communicate and not have ear protection on like in that moment is so handy and proved really handy with the way that this hunt ended up going because we had to talk back and forth about the opportunity and some of the stuff going on so that's not a huge benefit to teach kids to shoot if you have access to a suppressor maybe that's an impetus to get one for you as a parent to shoot with your kids because a lot of what you know, can scare kids isn't just the recoil, it's the noise. And so if you pair mm. a suppressor and also have them wear hearing protection is wise to do while practicing, taking that noise away is just, I've found that it's helped kids get a lot more comfortable shooting for sure. Hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. We, Steve, are kind of the the last week around in the office again. We're headed up to Kodiak to hunt next week. Just want to touch on that. Anything, we got some new guys going. I'm just kind of curious, what have you 
Like, what are some of the things you tell the newer guys to this trip? Some of the unique things about how they can prepare, what they should have, things on that. Um, <laughs> overall, it's just like, hey, just get ready to have a lot of fun for the next seven days. Um, <laughs> it's a, we, we have a blast up there. and It just looks a lot different this year with only having one deer tag. Uh, Kodiak, last minute, I guess the spring, which felt very last minute, all of a sudden reduced from three to one, which yeah. is a big change. And uh, just going in focused on, you know, really just shooting one. I want to shoot. My goal would be go kill a big buck that I want to get mounted because they're beautiful deer and I've killed a couple up there, but haven't gone to the effort of uh, skinning it out and getting a mount done. So I'm going to do that. But as far as the new guys, it's really just, I mean, it's, I guess now that we've done the hunt quite a few times, well, this is our third trip up there for this, that uh, knowing, being prepared for the wet and really just having really good quality rain gear, uh, two pairs of boots that can, that are waterproof because, you know, if you have a, they've got boot dryers there at the lodge. If you were doing a, a, uh, you know, a tent based hunt or something like that, it would be absolutely essential. I think to have a second pair of boots that if you had a base camp down, down off the ocean, yeah. you know, um, but uh, having two pairs of boots, cause you're just, it's just wet. I mean, you're standing in water almost the entire time, certainly where we were, I guess a couple of spots that we've hunted up there, you know, they they vary, but right. it's certainly the first hour to four hours. You're just kind of in this mucky, wet, you know, grass. And then, um, so yeah, that's critical. I can, um, the shooting is unique from a rifle perspective because for the most part, the deer should be down low and the vegetation is tall. So shoot, shooting prone doesn't exist. I mean, I you probably still bring a bipod, but it's uh, you know it's like a ten to twenty percent chance I I would use that on a shot at home. It's probably mm-hmm. a less than five percent chance you could use that up there. But it, it could you know if you get up high out, out of the brush, it could matter. But being able to shoot elevated, so you know running the wiser precision quick sticks, uh, obviously with the chassis platforms, you can clip right into the Arca rail shoot off the tripod which is uh, i'm excited i'm personally excited for that in fact i want to get out this week and i haven't actually done any standing shooting with the tripod Mm. where you know everything's always been sitting on your butt right Mm -hmm. but go out there and and shoot a shoot a few rounds just you know is with the tripod basically fully extended and kind of just see what what feels comfortable and what doesn't and you don't even have to you know, you don't even, don't even have to go shoot, shoot. You can just go dry fire on something and you yeah. know, go in your backyard and point at the, uh, I guess, make sure your neighbors aren't seeing you, but you know, <laughs> if you got neighbors. Depends on your backyard <laughs> setup, I guess. Yeah. 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 I guess for me, I can be pointing at some <laughs> foothills, sagebrush, about three, 400 yards away. Um, yeah, that's kind of it, man. It's just, oh, and then gloves, the, like a good thick leather glove those mechanics gloves that i've uh, are always on my gear list something like that because you're just wearing them constantly the the uh, the first trip i had just bought brought a pair of like rag wool gloves because that's what i love to wear um around you know mm-hmm. idaho and they were just shredded and destroyed and and weren't giving you any protection because they're just some of that it's wet steep slippery and you're just you know wading through all that brush when you're uh 
climb. I mean, you're just constantly like grabbing onto stuff just to pull yourself up. Or when you're going down, you're grabbing on things to keep yourself from sliding down the mountain. And uh, yeah, so having a good glove there with the devil's club and there's some other very thorny bushes and grasses and stuff like that. That's pretty essential. That's about it, man. We use, it's not as critical, but still, still so is having, we actually use the XO dry bags as a way to get the meat out of the field and keep everything clean. Uh, in the past where we're you know you got three deer tags and with the brown bears there it's just nice not to have your pack get covered in blood so you know obviously quarter up the animal and then throw all the quarters in the game bag and then hike or in the dry bag and then hike out and then you know it's so it's only in that dry bag for a couple hours and it's also going to be you know 30 to 40 degrees so it's plenty cold but that's really handy for that situation to be able to keep the the packs just nice and clean and then obviously do some this hunt would be so get back and you know wash your hunting pants and stuff and do some laundry that night so you're good to go for the next day but as as i say this hunt would be very different if you weren't i don't know what this would look like if you weren't like on a lodge or a boat-based hunt where you had access to some of that stuff it would be mm-hmm. it'd be interesting you'd it be really would yeah camping out there with the bears and uh covered in blood after a couple days a couple kills it would be it'd be interesting mm-hmm I really want to do yeah. it uh, earlier season. I've never been up there except for November. Yeah. So I want to go do a yeah. full like drop DIY and camp out there in August. Yeah, a little August bow hunt I think would be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. And yeah. part of this hunt is uh, just having a group of guys and getting back after the hunt and enjoying it. You know, it's uh, into the end of the season. It's like my last big trip big game trip for myself and it's a fun recap because it's like you know the sheep hunt kicked my butt and like our elk hunt wasn't super tough but you know it's a bivy hunt and this one is you can still be out and be in crappy conditions and kind of have a little bit of a tough day but you're always getting back and getting warm and getting dry and sharing stories and laughs it'll be a good time yeah to me this hunt's much more about just having a good time yeah and it's you can absolutely yeah you could absolutely go kick your butt on any given day like i mean to go climb you know two three thousand feet busting through that brush and kill a butt i mean they're they're you get back to that beach at five o'clock right at dark it's a it's a full-on day that's for sure mm-hmm. yeah. uh anything to stand out for you on things you're maybe doing different this time around gear wise or thought process no i don't think so i think you hit the important stuff obviously boots rain gear gloves like those are the big things um you know, one it is somewhat weather dependent, but one thing that I think of our first trip, and I, I don't remember which day it was, but we had taken off and, uh, you know, we did make a big climb that day. And it was that the conditions were, it was like cool, but warm enough. You were getting sweaty no matter what you did, but then you also had to have it wasn't raining, but everything was wet. So you had to have your ring gear on or you're going to be soaked. But then we ended up getting fairly soaked just because of the effort. And uh, I just remember we got to the top after a big, long climb and we were wet. And part of me was thinking, man, what could we have done differently on that climb to not be wet? But part of it was just, I think we would have been wet no matter what. Mm -hmm. And then getting to the top and realizing I had, I think it was a, grid fleece but anyway just remember thinking if 
I didn't have something dry to put on because we basically got to the top and we're going to be up there and kind of either glassing or still hunting for quite a while and realizing how important that that dry, warm piece Mm -hmm. was going to be for then. Um, So that's one thing that's unique is I don't, even though it's a short day hunt and even though there have been days up there where it's like, okay, if I get wet, I get wet, that's fine. I still am somewhat strategic about how do I manage moisture and do I have, I don't want to say an emergency layer by any means, but something that if we do stop in glass or if we start to still hunt, that I can create some level of warmth and create something dry. Because otherwise it it could be a just brutal, brutal, cold, miserable day out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I very specifically remember that hike that morning. Uh, and more so because it was, like you said, I think I was just wearing a thin merino wool base layer and then the rain jacket on top of that. But by the time we got through all that brush and hiked up and, you know, I'm just like, oh man, I'm, I feel really cold and wet. And you took the rain jacket off that my wool layer was soaked. And I think that's one of the case where we did that episode with uh, Marcel from Canis about rain gear actually failing, right? The humidity mm-hmm. level was, um, would have been higher on the inside than on the outside. And so it actually started pulling moisture into the garment. And because uh, it was like, you know, my bicep, my forearm, like everything, places where you wouldn't just sweat. It wasn't like just the shoulders and yeah. back. It was the entire shirt was soaking wet. Uh, and it was full on just a, I'm going to say a failure of the rain gear, but a, a circumstance in which the rain gear just no longer worked. I mean, it was, that was a, uh, pretty unique situation for sure so to be able to take off that soaking wet layer and then yeah i think both of us had that grid fleece that we threw on that was pretty uh pretty critical we'll chat more hopefully have some good stories afterwards and um we should do a gear list and stuff like that um so yeah we'll we'll have more to come on that trip uh steve this listener question came through and I'm excited to hear your answer. I think you mentioned this to me during our recent elk hunt, but we didn't actually chat about it too much. As Carol Dennis said, have you guys had a chance to test the new 8x32 EL range TAs or even the 10x32s and see how they stack up against the 42s? Is there a drastic change in light gathering ability in low light or resolution of the image in general? I guess this is a good example of where we just get to be fully candid because we're not sponsored by anybody and don't care. So we, I was really excited for these to come out. They showed up and the rain, the, the glass ergonomics, everything's fantastic. The ranging on the first three samples we got was absolutely terrible. They uh, essentially incredibly slow and very inconsistent. Like I, I got them, put the battery in, walked out of the shop like started arranging like a concrete fence that was like 150 yards away right out of the front door of the office and just kept getting no reading, no reading, no reading. That's weird. And then I went over to like a tree to the right and got a reading like, Oh, okay. Now it's working. I just thought like, you know, the thing was just starting up or something. Went back (laughs) to the concrete thing, range, nothing, range, nothing, range, finally get a reading. Uh, And man, that's, that's weird. Gave it over to Rob uh, who runs SNS for us and said, Hey Rob, something's not right with these things. And then um, he's like, well, maybe it needs to do a firmware update. He started looking on ways to update that. And I don't believe he ever got an answer or couldn't find a, yeah, couldn't find a solution. 
and then I grabbed the, the other two pairs we had, and it had very similar results, which uh, was just incredibly disappointing. I don't know if we had bad samples. Uh, actually, yeah, I need to do make sure we follow up on this because I'm bad mouthing this product at, the, at this current moment because <laughs> it's based off my experience. Uh, but uh, Rob was going to check some more into it and see what was going on. But they were I, I personally run the eight by forty twos, the and and love them. They're not my only complaint would be, you know, like SIG has the actual ranging aspect just dialed. It's perfect in my opinion. It's incredibly fast. You you get your MOA readings and everything just almost instantaneously. Where the Swirl takes a takes a little bit. I mean, you're talking seconds, but I've been in hunts where it feels like those seconds really matter, right? Like mm -hmm. an animal's kind of moving, you get a range, it's like 330, but you're waiting for the MOA to to dial and then you get it and then by the time you set up it's moved another 15 yards and then you got to range again like seconds certainly can matter and having that speed is definitely an asset to have yeah. so yeah to to be determined on the 32 EL ranges i just said this the i think we got availability was not great on them we had got like three samples in and they were just not good as far as what i saw the little bit i went through the glass was you know, certainly up to Swaro standards. Like, I don't think you'd skip a beat running those 32s over a 42. And frankly, any of the, like I've been running uh, some older 8 by 32 ELs that are, you know, 10 years old. And those things are incredible. I mean, for the, for what they are, super light, compact, they're kind of my elk hunting bino, and I've ran them on some other hunts too. Uh, you're not... You know, the, the glass and light gathering is so incredible in those things that you're not giving up anything. Like there's not, you know, you could take both of those in glass well past uh, available light, right? In any, in any situation, like there, you're the, you know, I think maybe it matters on a, a lower end binocular, but certainly there's uh, to me, no disadvantage to go into a 32. There's only just small, you know, smaller. Uh, more compact, you know, some, some advantages, lighter weight to running them. Yeah. Like a, just to get like 10 by fifties or something is just um, silly in my opinion. Like the, when you're talking about this premium glass that, that just already does such a great job. Those eight by 32s would be so cool as a, you know, archery elk. There's, there's been times in the past where I'm like, ah, I don't want to carry binos or should I and do mm -hmm. and the eight by 32s for a little archery elk bino would be great. Yeah, just, I don't. I, I don't mean that just about the ranging binos. I just mean that form factor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For elk hunting binos, it, those eight by thirty-two ELs I've had forever, really fantastic. Um, and I think I need to check into it because I I wouldn't run them on other hunts because there wasn't a good tripod mounting system. But that's obviously changed now with like Kestrel mm -hmm. and Asiac and some of these other like pretty kind of seamless clamp-on uh, binocular tripod adapters. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure there's some sort of solution. Yeah, but anyways, yeah, well, I will uh, continue to evaluate the EL range 32s, and hopefully, we just got some bad samples because it was it was glaringly bad. It wasn't like just like oh, this is kind of not probably as good as they wanted, but this was these were not good. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll have to do a follow up uh, when we get some other samples to look at. Steve, we had a couple questions. Uh, as a follow-up to our last week, we put out the the recap of our elk hunt. 
had a couple questions as a follow-up to that. I also wanted to mention, because I didn't mention this on the podcast at the time, I ended up putting together a, a little bit of a write-up article, debrief, some of the lessons I learned, recap, and that's on the EXO blog. I didn't mention that when we put out the podcast because I wasn't sure it was going to happen, um, mm-hmm. but I ended up sitting down, jotting some notes down. So I uh, just want to let listeners know, I can leave a link in the show description today, but there's definitely some takeaways from this hunt for me personally that I think I just wanted to sit down and write and reflect on and have for my own future reference. And obviously mm-hmm. there's maybe people who can learn from it as well. So that is out there. I didn't mention it last time, but I'll leave a link in the show description for that. Um, and then, yeah, so from that hunt, a couple of follow-up questions. One is, can you clarify your digiscoping and through the binos? I know we mentioned it. I think we maybe mm. didn't clarify enough what the exact setup was or what you were using product-wise because, and I don't mean the binos, like you mentioned, you had the NLPers, you had the SIG, um, Zulu 6 HDX, which are the image stabilizing binos, but a couple people actually asked about the video setup in particular, which was super simple, mm. but tell us about it. Yeah, just the, you know, so on the first portion of the hunt where we did the deer elk, I had, I packed the SIGs, uh, they were running their new Zulu, so Zulu 6, right? Yes. Yeah. So they're 10 by whatever the heck they are. <laughs> no, sorry, 12 <laughs> by 40. Does it, does it have a 42? I'm drawing I a blank it, now. Yeah. I think, I think it, it is. is. I think it's 12 I'll by 42, even though it's not a conventional 42 millimeter objective lens. Um, so running their, yeah, I was running their 12s and then, yeah, with the phone scope adapter on my phone and then just had the, you just, with phone scope, you just have to buy the right adapter to fit to the binoculars. And, Really, I mean, it's a nice tight fit to where, especially with those six, you know, you could, you put it into the, it has two different modes of stabilization. One that's kind of just normal where it, it takes out like 80% of the movement and one where it's target where it just, I mean, you can handhold and it's like you're on a tripod, just rock steady, but you're holding your binos with your phone attached in front of your face. And uh, that was just fantastic. And the, the focus seemed like it was almost a little bit easier than a spine scope. Like the focus just seemed to really snap into place. And I think because you're naturally just hand holding it, you can just use, you know, you've got your finger on the focus wheel. It's just easier than a spine scope uh, to get dialed in. And then uh, on, so that we yeah, shot some videos. we got, got a cool video of that uh, badger out there. And then uh, when we went to the, just the elk portion of it, I left the, sigs back because i'd just been experiencing some just fogging issues you know it was just seemed to be fogging more consistently grab the peers uh fogging on the external lenses not internally and uh so and then obviously just you know being testing gear it's you know it's like all right i use this on this hunt i'll swap it out on this hunt now i have you know kind of two direct comparisons a couple days apart or not even a couple days you know 12 hours apart and randomly, that same adapter for the phone scope that fit the SIGs fits the NL Pure eyepiece. Um, and so when we were, you know, when you shot your bowl, I was able to have the Pures on a tripod, put the phone scope right onto it. And uh, it, yeah, it just worked fantastic. And I was just very surprised. Like I said, my iPhone, you want to pay attention to the optical uh, magnification that your phone camera has, right? So if it's got if it only has a one X, then you're limited to, 
uh, whatever's, you know, you're basically at you know, 10x minus your image is going to be 10x magnified. But the optical uh, on my iPhone has a 3x uh, image uh, or 3x zoom lens. And then with the 10 on the binos, you're now all of a sudden looking at a 30x image. So you're, you know, if you're having to use the digital zoom, then it's going to start getting grainy really quick. But with the phone, uh, the phone's 3x optical lens and the 10x on the binos at a 30x image, you know, you're uh, the bully shot, like just, I was basically full screen on the phone zoomed in with pretty remarkable clarity, in my opinion. Like I was blown away by it. Yeah, that's a cool setup. And that I'm glad you went into the depth on the phone too, because that having that optical zoom makes a huge difference. Um, huge, huge difference. So it's yeah, yeah as you said, like 30x sitting there through binos on a tripod, it's pretty tough to beat. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. I'm certainly on Kodiak, I'll I'm planning on running the SIGs. I'll probably bring both peers and SIGs up there, but the to just be able to video bucks, you know, as, or bears or anything, the just, it's so stinking handy, you know, it's like the, it's like having your phone in your pocket and in, in the sense of like running around is taking pictures versus a big DSLR in your pack where, you know, you're just out hiking and you get, we're going to see a, you know, we're going to see brown bears and all oh, this bear, it'll take me all of two seconds to get the phone out, you know, clip it to the uh, binoculars and get video of it. I'm definitely excited to have that opportunity just kind of opens up, um, yeah, just something something new, cool. Like I, you know, I got home and showed the video of the badger to my kids, and then also that cow and calf moose that we saw. And then, um, yeah, I was on when I was on elk hunt. Prior to that, I was down at this river, crossing this river, and there were some uh, seals that, uh, or sorry, river otters that came up, and uh, they were, um, you know, at fifty yards just playing around. And I was like, I would love to be able to share this experience with my kids and having that. Uh, binocular tripod adapter you know at the ready certainly be able to it's gonna be cool uh the other question and this came up a couple times and i failed to mention it um from the l count was what bullet was i shooting and um it was the 175 grain eldx uh it's actually the first time i've shot a bull specifically with an eldx um i've used eldx on and off uh for really quite a long time now. Um, yeah, and the I guess the short answer to that is I, you know, I have a bunch of different options. I hunted a lot with like the 160 grain Acubond um, last year. Uh, I've used hammer. I've used just a whole bunch of different bullets, but I was shooting the LDXs a bunch kind of in the off season last year, ring and steel, and then went right into spring bear season. And I actually think the ELDX is a fantastic, nearly perfect bullet for bears uh, for a variety of reasons. And so I ran it for spring bear and then I was like, you know what? It's it's a great choice for my sheep hunt as well. Um, if I get into a situation, you know, where it's super windy on that sheep hunt, I want something that is going to be very effective in high winds and then stuck with the ELDX for the sheep hunt. And then once I made that decision it was also like all right between my sheep hunt and then this deer slash elk hunt i have time to get home and like switch loads choose a different bullet re-zero etc but i just honestly didn't want to and um so i just went into this hunt with the eldx again not saying i obviously i trusted it enough to use on an elk but 
historically it hasn't been my first choice uh, for an elk hunt. Particular if you get into, you know, different shot angles and things like that. But obviously for an extended distance shot, which this one ended up being, uh, it's a great bullet, you know, from a BC perspective, wind perspective, and then terminally it worked fantastically well. So that's the bullet I was shooting um, for the elk. Um, I wish we would have had more time for me to to look at more at the terminal performance of it, internals, things like that. Um, but we essentially didn't have any daylight. We were, as you've heard, dehydrated. Uh, it wasn't a time to sit around and do any sort of, <laughs> any sort of digging in that regard. But uh, yeah, it performed very well. Had passed through. The elk was down in sight. Can't complain. So that is the story there. All right, Steve, this is, uh, let's end with this one. It's another would you rather question, but it's it's not uh, as silly as last time. <laughs> <laughs> this one is, would you rather pack out a 75 pound load a mile and a half up a 12 foot hundred climb and then down 1200 foot descent? So three miles total, a mile and a half up 1200 feet, a mile and a half down 1200 feet, or would you rather pack that same amount of weight, double the distance, but on flat ground? Uh, and he said 75 pounds, which I think, you know, is, is fine, but feel free to elaborate at all if you would shift that weight or make a different decision based on that weight is. But essentially getting at, hey, do you want to climb and descend or do you want to take a flatter route, even if it means much more distance? I, I would say in general, based off of experience, flatter is always going to be easier, even though it's double the distance, especially if, you know, w one thing that you never really take into account when someone's talking about like a pack out is how much was on trail versus off. Like the, I don't know what the factor is to multiply by for off trail, right? But it's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, substantial, you know, it could be anywhere from five to 20 X harder than just walking down a trail. So that I would certainly take that into consideration. I would take the... You know, what does the next day look like? Do I mean, is it pack this out and I go home and I'm uh, rested up, right? And, and you're not even talking. So you're talking three miles versus six miles. You know, it's, it's not that. You're talking one hour versus two hours. Um, so it's not that drastic of an example. But if you were to like really amplify that of like, okay, it's five miles to go straight up this mountain and down the other side to my truck, or it's 20 miles to go around. Um, I would just be making some decisions based off of like what, you know, um, yeah, just do I got time? How heavy is the load? 75 pounds for me is like this 75, 80 pounds is like this kind of magic number where I feel like I can do just about anything, right? Like if you're like, oh, I got to climb up 4,000 feet, like, okay, you know, it's going to suck, but I can do it. You bump that up to a hundred, all of a sudden that's like a completely different ball game for, for that's just how my you know my body lays out i guess with uh with that kind of weight is uh, i've just noticed that there's a huge huge difference um so there'd be just a pile of factors into that that i couldn't every every hunt would you know you could do five hunts throughout the year with all similar decisions and and make you know different decision every single time um but in general flat and even though it's double the distance, you're going to be, you're going to be better off. You're going to be less sore. 
uh, it's going to be a, a lot um, better on your body. I'm glad you mentioned the on trail versus off trail because that's the first thing I wanted to know with this question is like, well, is one of these, you know, drastically different, right? Flat, but is it quote unquote flat, meaning you're not making elevation gains, but is it like, are you side hilling through a bunch of crap? You know, is it off trail mm-hmm. or there obstacles versus like, okay, we're going up and over, but pretty direct route or pretty easy going. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's a matter of the elevation, but it's a matter of, I don't want to say conditions, but yeah, like the terrain and the trail and cover and yeah. all that good stuff for sure. Yeah. That's such a good, we've kind of talked about this a little bit. I can't remember what podcast it was, but you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself on a hunt, but also if you're getting, you you, you want to be aware of what the pack out looks like, right? Yeah. Like at any given point, you know, and it just gets amplified the, the further you get back and the more technical the terrain gets i mean i remember being on uh it was 2020 on tyler boschman's sheep hunt doll sheep hunt up in alaska you know we we climbed up this really nasty ridge like you know three four thousand foot climb to to go look off the back side and see what was back there and the whole way up i'm paying attention to how the heck like what are the options to get down because there's certainly like if we go right there we're cliffed out if we go left we're going to be okay you know like just paying Mm -hmm. attention to that stuff even though you're not you know that's pretty far in the future and only if you kill something it ended up paying huge dividends for us on that well not huge dividends uh exaggerate there um we were we got we went over the top got on some sheep didn't work out came back but we saw sheep on the other side and i knew because i just paying attention on the climb up that hey we can drop down and get down into this chute and get down to the bottom way faster than running the spine ridge that we climbed up uh, we were able to basically ski down there was no you know it was just all just basically so you could just ski down there's no cliffs or drop-offs or anything like that you had to worry about so we got down to the bottom really fast and then once we got down there realized that the rams we were seeing across the way weren't none of them were legal once because we basically cut the distance in half um but yeah just being aware of your surroundings pay attention to, to what a pack out looks like and uh i think it's super critical awesome well that's a good one to cap it on guys as always if you have questions for us maybe it is a would you rather question or it's about gear anything uh we're always happy to get those on the list to chat through on a future monday minute episode you can just send those questions by email to podcast at exomountgear.com. You can also leave us an audio message on whatever device you're using by using uh, the SpeakPipe link, which will be in the show description. Um, again, I'll also leave that link to that Elkhunt uh, recap article, some of my takeaways from that. That'll be in the show description as well. And as always, if you haven't yet, hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app. Do that so that you receive future episodes automatically, and we'll talk to you soon.